Cooking with Chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. A podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang. Hey Li Wen. Hello Marcel. Happy to have you. Yeah, today is going to be a, an emotional episode, I think. Um, we want to talk about Hong Kong. It's, it's time to talk about Hong Kong. Just a couple of days ago, the new security law has been implemented by the Standing Committee of the Communist Parties. Mm. And you know what? I'm, I, I really... I'm, I'm angry about it. It's, it's, it's such a tragedy what happens there right now. As you know, I've been nine years in China and I spent of these nine years maybe, well, three, four months maybe i was in hong kong and uh you know i fell in love with the city because it's such a it's it's such an inspiring place the mixture of of modernity of tradition the smells of the city the skyscrapers the narrow streets the concrete everything not everyone might like it i loved no. it anyway um and and it's a it's a tragedy what what to see what happens in hong kong i know yeah. it, it wasn't or is not a, a, an easy place to live for for yeah. people who who don't have the money actually to, to finance their the certain lifestyle so you're of course better off uh, living mm. there as an expat or something uh, but a lot of local people are struggling to go along there but still it's a it's a great inspiring place i yeah, always yeah. felt though at least to see this now coming to an end and i think this security law actually ends hong kong's mm. autonomy mm. literally it's just a tragedy i i feel like it is you know i don't want to defend like i don't want to be number one defender of hong kong because there's people who have a much closer relation to hong kong than i have and that's especially the people who live in hong kong in the first place and then people who spent much more time in hong kong in their life than i did yeah but but mm. i think like we really just watching the Chinese government taking over, doing what they want, implementing a new law in the name of human rights and of rule of law, but it actually gives them the power to do whatever they want in Hong Kong, to prosecute people for whatever reason they want to. They all put it under the new law. And to see this and yeah. us not reacting, us means like the European Union, Germany, like the, the liberal and democratic powers in the world, not reacting on that in a decisive and assertive manner and saying, okay, enough is enough now. That yeah. really frustrates me. It's, it's disappointing to see that. I think, yeah, I think many of my friends are, right? Um, especially journalists. I saw one of these journalists who has written, I forgot which one, sorry, on Twitter. She wrote a paragraph that touched me deeply. What did she write? Uh, echoing also many journalists' feeling. She said, do you remember the days when you cross the border and enter into Hong Kong from mainland China? Do you remember the lightness, the free mm. air that you feel? that burden removed from your shoulder. You could talk about any topic. You could interview people with your recorder on the desk. The kind of freedom, the sense of freedom is very important. This feeling, if you don't have it before, if you never experienced it, Hong Kong is still part of China. It's undoubtedly China, but it is also free. It's a kind of free China that everybody loved because Chinese has a lot of charms. Chinese people are warm and they have their own social, cultural bonding. 
and they care about food and <laughs> they enjoy life in their way that oh, do, is yeah. completely different from the Europeans. All these have charms. But the difference is that in mainland China, you are suffocated all the time by an omnipresent everywhere. You are suppressed by a dictatorship, by a totalitarian government, and before this, an authoritarian government. So whatever it is, people cannot breathe freely. They cannot really be themselves. They're they're thinking. They know that even thinking about criticism against a certain phenomenon in the society is illegal. And they could not talk openly about that, or even if they do, they have to be careful. So Hong Kong offered something that is really peculiar combination of freedom and the prosperity of Asia, the buzz, the fuzz of street life, and the mixture of East and West, and all these is based on the legal independence of Hong Kong. And now it is ruined for journalists. It's heartbreaking, of course. All of us. I mean, I've been in Hong Kong also very frequently, and many of my friends are there. I I saw them in the past year protesting on the streets. I saw them also writing day and night with hope, with a lot of hope, but also with a lot of desperation. Knowing that this is not gonna go anywhere, and they know that the world is not gonna save them. They are the only one who could do much about their own future. And this is, of course, breaking also my heart because, like you, I see the inaction, the ambiguity of German government. I mean, Miss Merkel, who come from a totalitarian society, who grew up in such a society, she should know very well what is going on. And yet, the whole European Union, under her guidance, leadership, is not doing anything. I want to know why. This is something I cannot understand. Yeah, it's interesting to 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 guess. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, mm. um, Heiko Maas, German uh, Foreign Minister. This is pretty representing what's going on. He said uh, he wanted the EU to give a strong reaction, a common reaction on mm. the implementation of this law. Mm. But on the other side, he also says he prefers. Dialogue instead of sanctions, and he would not put into question that on uh, September 14th we have EU-China summit. He says, like, there's a lot of things we have to talk about, and we also have to talk about the inconvenient things. This is <laughs> how we argue for 20 years now. You know, talking to China about the inconvenient things, and at the end, what? What happens? Nothing happens. The, yeah, Nothing the, changes. Yeah, it's, it's, the it's, it's, engagement, the so-called engagement, in the end, only changed the West. Yeah, it, it, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so instead of now being really assertive and saying, no, enough is enough, and being also prepared to pay a certain price, taking a stance for a democratic peace of land in China. We just let it happen. And what? Does uh, anyone really want to convince me that the that the EU or that the Chinese side will, when they've been tipped off by the EU, that they are concerned of what's going on in Hong Kong, that the Chinese start thinking things over? That they start to say, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, maybe they are right. Oh, maybe we have to really have to adjust the law. It's too strict. We can't do that. Come on. I mean, this is so naive. And, and because... You know, arguing officially this way, like the German foreign minister does, hmm. I feel as a citizen being raised in a country that emphasizes its democratic values, its liberal mind thought, its its fight for these values. Yeah, listening to yeah. that, I feel like he takes me for a fool. 
You yeah. know what I mean? I really think yeah. like, come on, what do you think are you telling me? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I an idiot I mean, when I, I listen to yeah, that. Yeah, I listen to this. I don't feel like an idiot because they are idiot. But <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I feel like reliving 1930s, the whole Europe is going again through this appeasement policy. Yeah. The uh, appeasement policy facing a rising Nazi state. The, the difference is the appeasement back then was because I think it was out of fear. A fear oh, well, of, of, of a Nazi German, of, of a <laughs> oh. war. I don't think this is the main force. Is fear like China will attack us and will have territory claims on, or, or whatever. You know, I think it's a fear of loss, of um, economical <laughs> of. This is exactly, impact. exactly. This is what we were talking about in our last episode, yeah, we did, right? Yeah. I talk about the greed of the capitalists in the last episode, but we never talk about the politicians. I think politicians nowadays, they are very much short of vision. I mean, generally speaking, the leaders nowadays we are seeing in European Union countries, they are short of vision. And they don't want to move out of their comfort zone to design something, to make allies, To change the track of the history. They don't have that. I mean, of course, there are a few, some brave ones. The, my favorite one is Heinhard Bütikofer, the chair of China delegation in the European Parliament, yeah. the foreign affairs spokesperson of the yeah. Green. He's responded to this so-called dialogue with China. <laughs> He said, it would be more honest to just bluntly say, we are not going to do anything of relevancy But we promised to put lipstick on the pig. Oh, yeah. I think politicians yeah, like it. this, politicians like this, they give us hope. But how can we support them? How can we enlarge, gather voices like this and really push for a change? I think it's, it's a moment of challenge to our democracy today. In crucial stage, this is a crucial historical moment. The European yeah. Union is charging to the wrong direction that is endangering the democracy, what do we do? Well, the, the basic approach must be education, right? Education, 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 to teach kids from the very, very, very beginning, from very early age, democratic values and, and the need defending it. This is a long-term thing. It's just a generational thing, right? The politicians today that are either in the opposition or they are mm. out of office, these are the ones turning against China, saying, oh, no, this is not acceptable. Hmm. Let them be in office and in charge. They suddenly start to think things over. Oh, oh, yeah, here and there. And they are afraid of taking the wrong decisions. They are in the, in, under the influence of the industry, of the economy. It's a lot of pressure um, on the politicians to not make China angry because we, we fear their repercussions, which finally funnels into, into a loss of, of revenues or something. For quite a while, I really thought like, okay, I... I understand, of course, this kind of approach. And maybe I have a lack of information that I cannot fully process the, the path of decision. You know, sometimes Let's, you have a lack no, of no, information, let, let. imperfect information. And I'm not sure uh, sometimes if I, if, I, if I can judge about it. So I, I start to balance things out, right? To, be, to think, okay, maybe there is a point in what the other people say. At this point now, I really have to say, no, it's, it, it's enough. I think we have like 20 years of, of talking and balancing out and listening and, yeah. and being, <laughs> being put forward and said, no, no, no worries, no worries. Um, no, yeah. nothing will change. And this law, actually, the implementation of this law is like kicking our values and our ideas and everything in front of our eyes. It's, yeah, putting lipstick on the pig. 
and is presented us as a as a good thing for everyone, for the people of Hong Kong, for the people of China, for the people of all over the world. Yeah, I can speak from personal experience. I can speak from analysis. I have been a political analyst for some years. Yeah. And then I can also speak from a journalist or a writer's perspective. Everything, you can go into every perspective. This is a bad thing. I mean, we can be really, really realistic, so-called realistic. Let's talk about the economy of Germany. The relations with China, how important that is. I mean, if you want to have to get a hard argument, we can actually talk about it. Because at the moment, we know that Donald Trump is putting pressure on European Union. He's imposing tariffs and re-established this barrier for trade. Okay, I get it. And so maybe the industry thinks that keep on working with China is going to at least make sure that you don't have too much job loss or profit loss that is keeping European citizens' livelihood back home. But this is not going to happen. The problem is that, as I have argued in the, the previous episode, that the industry's excuse that China is extremely important and we are completely dependent on China is nonsense. First of all, we are not that dependent on China. It's a kind of mutual dependency. We can argue, we can bargain, we have our bargaining chips. And second, the dependency, the profit that we gain from China is completely exaggerated. And also, if you have a strategy, you have a bit of vision, bit of responsibility as the leader, either in industry or in politics, we have a lot that we should have done in the past years to move the production out of China and to reduce this kind of treatment that China is doing to foreign companies. Of course, I know that foreign companies have benefited a lot from the well-trained labor force and cheaper and less protected because there's no work union. But there are also other countries that you can do that and create less political pressure on us. For example, Vietnam is doing pretty well at the moment by taking the place of some of the manufacturing industry from China. Southeast Asia, South Asia, whatever. You just have to, you have to put eggs in different baskets. You cannot just rely on one country that is so dangerous and that is basically showing in our face. It is saying it doesn't believe in Western democracy. China model is the best. One day, the 21st century's world will follow, should follow China model. It is a war. It is an ideological war putting on our face, and we just follow blindly. And it, it, it's fair enough that the Chinese government does so, right? I mean, uh, nobody needs to expect them to, to do what we want them to do or what we think is good for them. Uh, I think <laughs> this is not the thing we have to discuss about. Because it is it, a competition. It, it, it is. It is a competition, yeah. and so they are allowed yeah. to do that. The thing is how yeah. we react on that competition, right? The way it, it looks like we are just numb or paralyzed in front of the things we see, and, and instead of taking the right decision and draw the right conclusions, we rather, yeah. or we hope for the future, maybe things will get better. We need more integration of China. We need, we need more dialogue. And mm. I bet in Zhongnanhai, in, in Beijing, the Chinese government sits there and sometimes they shake their head and think like, how idiotic these European or US, especially European countries are. I, I really think so. They sit there and sometimes laughing their ass off about how idiotic the Europeans react on their behavior. It's, it's, it's frustrating, as I said. And let's get to the 
to the law itself, because maybe some people don't know even what it's all about. It is about four offenses, basically, four major offenses. Separatism, subversion, terrorism, collusion with foreign countries. This is what it's all about. And it's, of course, it's no coincidence that this law, round about one year, has been implemented after the extradition bill that was planned to be implemented last year. That actually triggered the big protest movement with more than two million people on one march in Hong Kong protesting this new extradition bill. This new law now actually puts that into, yeah, into a law which nobody can avoid anymore. Um, damaging, for example, the New York Times wrote it up here, uh, under the new law, damaging government buildings would be considered an act of subversion punishable by life in prison in grave cases. Life imprisoned for damaging a government building. Another thing is sabotaging transport would be deemed a terrorist activity punishable by life in prison if it harms other people or cause significant damage to public or private property. Imagine you damage a government building and they treat you the same like someone who murdered 20 people. Life yeah. in prison. This, this is the extent of what they do. And, and, and according to your experience much more than mine, but also mine experience that basically these kinds of laws give the government a tool which incorporates any kind of violation, what they see as a violation in terms of subversion of whatever, yeah, terrorism, they label it and say, this is part, this, this drops under this kind of law. And so you are a delinquent and this is why we punish you. So there's no clear structure in this law which would say, okay, this is punishable and this is not. If the government says, we regard this as terrorism, as an act of collusion with foreign countries, of separatism, they separatism, punish you. Yeah. They punish mm. you and they don't care at all if it looks like logical what they do. They just punish you because they want to defend their power monopoly. This is what it's all about. We can go a bit more into the details of how totalitarian governments use so-called law to rule, right? The law in China, like in all totalitarian countries, is very vague. It's deliberately vague, so people in power could use it, interpret it in any way. And they do. Yeah, and they do, because that's convenient. So when it comes to the right of thinking... You have no right of free thinking. Whatever criticism you have, there is one law that would fit and say you are committing separatism or you are instigating troubles. 循信姿势罪, instigating troubles. What does that mean? Right? That basically means anything. If you criticize your own local officials or government for not doing the job during a flood, you are instigating troubles oh, yes. online. Right? Yeah. What is happening right now in China? You know that half of China, southern China, is in flood because this continuous rain that has never been so heavy ever since 1940, the rain of a century. And in my hometown, houses were falling into river, the flood. We haven't seen that for so many decades. And guess what? The algorithm on the internet, uh, on social media, downplayed this. So I don't see anything about the flood on my timeline, mm -hmm. like barely anything. I've been in journalism for so many years, right, for decades. In the past, whenever this kind of flood happened, much smaller flood, there would always be journalists at the spot 
reporting about how the government is doing the disaster relief right, yeah. and how people are suffering from it and their personal recount and etc. And now, guess not, what? Not this Nothing. Time. Because obviously, no media dare to do this except a few. But local media is silent, silent, silent about the suffering of people. And this is because there is a law there that is made and laid down telling you not to do anything that the government told you not to do. And this is the problem. When we say so obey the local law, what kind of law is that? We need to know. If the law <laughs> is evil, exactly. you shouldn't uh, uh, follow uh, it. See, someone who represents this kind of mindset is the new appointed uh, Zheng Yanqiong, He will be mm. the head of the agency that, that oversees the implementation of the, of the national security law in Beijing. And Zhang is someone who actually was in charge back then in Guangdong, in Wukan in 2011. Back then he was the secretary general of the Communist Party's Guangdong branch. And he was in charge of countering the protests in Wukan. What happened there, there was a village in southern China. People started to protest over the corruption of their officials. And the protests really got big. And at the end of the day, they were allowed to vote for their own or elect their own leaders. It was made up a bit, everything to make it look nice. That was a moment when people thought like, well, maybe this is the start of a grassroots democracy Or maybe it turned out to be not, of course. And this Zheng Yanxiong, now in charge of the overseeing of the implementation of the national security law in Hong Kong, he back then said the villagers in Wukan, people who were complaining about the corruption, about the unfair treatment by the people who should actually take care of them. He claimed that the villagers were colluding with foreign media to create trouble. And this is the mindset that now moves in into Hong Kong's immediate administration. It has been there before, but now it's immediately there. It's not even beyond the border. It's now it is in Hong Kong itself. And you know, when the mindset of, oh, someone is colluding with foreign media, you don't even, they don't even give a proof for anything. By that, they have this powerful tool of just arresting everyone. And you see the protests on Wednesday, on, on Wednesday 1st of July, when people went to the street and protested the law on the 23rd anniversary of the return of, of, of Hong Kong to China. There were 300 arrests, I think, and I think uh, nearly a dozen or so of people were already arrested for breaching the new law. And we'll see what happens with them, how strictly they're going to be punished. And I think you don't need to be foreseer to say that there will be strict punishments, just to give an example, to give a warning to everyone out there. And this guy, this Zheng Yanxiong, what he said was, because it was implemented on the 1st of July, so on that anniversary day, he said, It's a, a birthday gift for the people of Hong Kong. I wonder, maybe you can clarify that. Is it only cynical or do these people really believe because they're backing up the ideology of their government so strong that they really believe it is a gift for the people of Hong Kong because they think that the majority of the people of Hong Kong really back the Communist Party? Or is that only, only the only thing left they have for their people is cynicism? What do you think it is? I don't know. I don't even, I can't even bear such a question. I can't even bear it. I don't know how to explain this feeling as someone coming from a totalitarian country, knowing how the rascal like the government is. I cannot bear such a question because people were never given the chance to state their view. 
Has the government ever done any open to, to do some investigation? You have a law that is impact the fate of this island. And have you ever asked the people, how do you think about it? Of course, but this is actually what, what happens. They don't go for the influence, the experience of the grassroots. Instead, it's top down, right? So They produce you know, it, the fog. They produce a fog. They manufacture opinions, the government from Beijing. They are used to that. They hush on any dissent and then manufacture supportive opinions on media because they have the means to do that, to manufacture a kind of positive environment for certain things. And they can buy people to go on the streets to support them. You know, in Hong Kong, that there were 50 people obviously hired by the government demonstrating their support for passing of the law. 50. This is the number of people that they can buy. And then there were two million people on the streets protesting against it. They just pretend it doesn't exist. This is something like there is black and there is white. And people outside China, those pacifists, those appeasement supporters, they pretend not to see. And they pretend repeatedly asking, is, is the law really supported by Hong Kongers? This is something I cannot bear. The hypocrisy is to such an extent, I don't know even where to start. When you were working as a journalist in China, I mean, you were encountering this kind of censorship and this kind of making up narrative in favor of the Chinese government. How you as a critical thinking person and second guessing as a culture in your in your family and in your in your mindset. How did you actually how could you bear this kind of when you encountered this in your daily work, your need, your duty, your only way to go along with that narrative? And thinking something, something maybe something completely different. How could you actually? How does it feel to be in that position and being actually helpless to, to write the real thing you really think, to put it into, to put it into context, to second guess things publicly instead of just saying, "Hey, this is a great job the government does here." How does I mean, it feel as a journalist in China? I mean, to be to be very uh, honest, that in the years when I was writing in China. I was mostly focusing on international issues, which makes it safer, except when you are touching upon issues relating to sensitive so-called topics like Taiwan or North Korea and that kind of thing. So it's relatively free. You can freely comment on Americans' policy in Middle East. Yeah, you can criticize as much as you want. <laughs> Nobody's going to censor you because it's good for the, for the government. But when you enter general news, it's a different thing. Many, many of my Chinese colleagues, I have to say counterparts in China, over the past decades have been trying their best to really make criticism against the abuse of power of the government or the mistake of the government policies or the corruption and everything. They've been fighting for decades. They have their certain crafts, you know, craftship or certain skill how to write this sentence to convey the message to the public without making it too harsh and to duck below the censorship or to hint at things. And this kind of, this is being raped on a daily basis, I tell you. Because very often it is like pleasing the rapists. Pleasing the rapists is something traumatic. Many of them got trauma. Many of them get depression. Really, journalists from renowned media, I know, if they really believe in what they do, you know, if they are not those opportunists who are just trying to get fame for themselves, they get depression. 
the the psychological trauma was so heavy in the end when I was after like one point five decade of journalistic work for for Chinese media. I decided to leave it. I couldn't breathe. I really, literally had the feeling that. Every day at that time, I worked for the biggest internet news website in China, and I literally couldn't breathe. When every day I had to delete because running a newsroom at that time is highly sensitive. Any issue could get you into trouble. So every day you receive thousands of instructions from all branches of the government, including state-owned enterprises, local governments, central government, different ministries. They order you to delete certain news. And you have to delete it. And sometimes these news are so outrageous, like even, the even when it was even when it was a state-owned enterprise, you had to delete it. So a state-owned enterprise could actually call your your office and say, "We want this message to be deleted. Uh, this this news to be deleted." They have their own channels. They all have their own channels through their local government. They would always get our contact. And they are powerful. State-owned enterprises are very powerful. They are semi-government organizations, or more almost, right? We all know that. And and because the the top management of big state-owned enterprises, they get minister-level position inside the government. So so it's it is just government. It's the same thing. You know what's interesting is, and this is something I really thought a lot about. You know the situation when you are encounter like a certain degree of truth. In a country that actually just accepts one official reality, and you know better mm. Mm. because you're very close to the real reality and not the official reality.、Mm. There's two options. I mean, when you're not totally stupid, right? There's two options.、Mm. Doesn't I don't want to make it sound disrespectful, but I want to say if you if you have the ability of reflection、mm. and stuff, you know. So、mm. you have two options. You either realize and decide, okay. What can I do? I, I don't dare to do anything because it's dangerous. So you have to actually really make a compromise with yourself. You have to start to justify to yourself why you don't actually oppose this kind of official reality. You have to、mm. make. You have to. Make, you have to give yourself a reason not to protest and to say here、mm. is things are going wrong. You have to. You have to justify it in in, in the mirror every morning.、Mm. Or. You have the choice to actually start becoming a dissident, to speak out loud and say, "Hey, guys, this is something. Here's something going wrong." And at this point, to take this decision, I really, I really do respect that. And it doesn't, not necessarily someone is Chinese or whatever. Everywhere in the world,、mm-hmm. if someone faces these kinds of powers against him and speaks out against it, I, it has my total respect because I, in this position, wouldn't know how to handle. Would I have the guts to do it? I don't know, so you know what I mean. It's I, I、mm. don't want I don't want.、Um, it's I, easy. I, it's easy to to blame people for not rising up or to 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 tell people why don't you rise up? Come on, do something again. It's not that simple. It's not that simple just to to see the reality and say okay, we rise up this morning. No, no, this is not how it goes. You really have to、yeah. overcome all your your fears and everything that hinders you to to speak out and say hey, here's things、uh, going wrong. It is. It is pretty much like the life of hostages. People who live in totalitarian society, they are hostages. They are abducted. Not only themselves, but also their family. We all know what happens to those who openly express their criticism or dissent persistently. They normally get persecuted not only by themselves, but also. 
their family members will be implicated. Their even their relatives lose their jobs. Their sons, their daughters, their or their their parents, or even their uncles, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. the government is seeing people as asset. You are my asset, and so anything that relates to you, anything that matters, you you are also my asset. So whatever you do, you have to follow my rule. And if you don't, I just destroy things that you care.、Mm. You can be brave, no problem. You go to jail, you die there. That is your thing. Probably you are a hero. But what if I punish your parents?、Mm. And this、you、is、know. something that now faces、uh, some of the leaders of the democracy movement. I think,、yeah. for example, Nathan Law, he will leave the country. He's a young guy, twenty something. He's one.、Mm. In, he's in the leadership of Demosisto, the the pro democracy party, founded、yeah. by the young people, by the young protesters. In、and、Hong he, Kong, yeah. In Hong Kong, and he leaves the country. He says, "Sorry, I, but I have to leave now, and I keep on working on a diplomatic way via diplomatic channels abroad to support the idea." Yeah. I mean, he has family in Hong Kong. Yeah. And. <laughs> And、it's, you just it, have to cut ties with them. Imagine that. Yeah, but if, Imagine if this is enough,、yeah. if this is enough,、yeah. they still reach out to him and tell, "Look, buddy,、yeah. even if you don't have contact to your parents anymore, whatever,、yeah. we're gonna we're just, gonna punish your parents if you one more time say this、yeah. or that." And, and just yesterday, happened definitely. It's just just yesterday there is a girl who's studying in Australia, a Chinese girl. Her Twitter name is Zhu. Zhu has been posting. Twitter content mocking and criticizing Xi Jinping, and guess what? Her parents back home were visited by police, and the police found her contact and demand her to visit the police office when she returned to China. This kind of hostage policy, you saw it in former Eastern Germany as well, right? People who have experienced dictatorship and totalitarianism should not forget how it feels. This is basically it, and how outrageous the government can do. They sell people. Eastern Germany sold hostages to the Western Germany to make money. Famous dissidents that the Western democracy wants to rescue from Eastern Germany. They were sold or family that want to reunion with their escaped members in the West. So if you look into that, you you see that the nature of totalitarian governments is to take everybody. As their assets, and even if you try to escape, mind you, Chinese government has done outrageous things, like this Swedish citizen, who,、right. who's former Hong Kong bookstore owner,、Gui、he、Minghai. has published,、mm. yeah, Gui Minghai, and he has published、uh, many books that are critical or revealing the secrets of the central leaders in Beijing. And he he was a Swedish citizen, and guess he was, what? He、yeah. was he, he he was abducted in Thailand on holidays, right? On holidays, and Thai government obviously collaborated with it and shipped back to China. And some weeks later, he turned on the TV and openly renounced his citizenship in Sweden. What kind of message is that sending? That means once you are the hostage. In China, like once you were born in China, you are forever the hostage, wherever you escape to, and it's the same with foreigners now. Don't think that foreigners are safe. I mean, look at the former ICG analyst. What's his name? The Canadian guy,、mm-hmm. Michael 
Korish. He is now in jail for how many hundreds of days because uh, as a hostage, he, he kind of, he's kind of arrested in the name of espionage, which is a ridiculous charge because he's openly meeting Chinese officials in his past visits all the time. And he's in charged with espionage and now being held in jail without access to any lawyer or any legal right. And, and uh, uh, Canadian Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau writes yeah. said uh, we will not accept this kind of of, uh, of blackmailing. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Just because Huawei's CFO, Huawei founder's daughter, was arrested in Canada, she she was charged with um, the, all the charges are openly there, and the evidences are presented that Huawei has committed under her leadership. Unlike, and, unlike the cases in China, which nobody knows actually what they've nobody done, right? Knows. Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows what they have yes, done. Like yes, this, this yeah. charge of espionage and there's yeah. no lawyers and etc. Isn't that enough? I'm really literally worried for these German capitalists and industrialists who are still doing business with Chinese government and think that they are safe. They are not safe anymore. One day the same thing would happen to them randomly. There Indeed. Is any trouble. Indeed. Uh, it would be interesting to have a survey maybe run by the EU chamber or someone or I don't know, to, to find out if the sentiment of the business people in, in China from the foreign or German business people in China, European business people, if they're if they are afraid, mm. if mm. they have a rising level of fear towards the Chinese government's arbitrary behavior. Um would be interesting to know. It's <laughs> yes, it's it, yeah. it says so many, you know, um There's so many hints that apparently the Chinese government is not a trustful partner. Yeah. This is the conclusion. We can keep on going for another 20 years yeah. and, and ponder if the Chinese government maybe have some good intentions as well. And maybe they need just some time and we should, we should uh, um, support um, these kind of thinking no, by more no, dialogue. No, or we, or no, we, after 20 no. years, after WTO entrance, no. can finally decide... Let's take a decision and let's take a stance on China. Decide, okay, China, this government is not trustful. This is what it China is. China is buying time. China is deliberately using this sort of attitude of the West, the appeasers from the West. He, Xi Jinping is putting his ambition out there. China will replace any country in the world to be the leader in high-tech manufacturing finance sector, internet technology, telecommunication technology, as well as ideology and political system. This is laid out there in documents, official announcement, Xi Jinping's open speech, and we still have to engage. We don't have the time. It's too late now. It's already late. If you look at, if you go to the railway, international railway exhibition, go there. 10 years ago, 70% of the, maybe more than 10 years ago, it was more than 70% of technology come from Germany, maybe. And now 70% come from China. Tell me, how is this going to work? I mean, China is stealing, buying, annexing technology from developed countries. Recently, there is a report coming out of how China hacked Nortel, which is also another competitor of Huawei, used to be how they steal technology from Nortel's system. They do all these sort of things. There are enough evidences out there, and they are doing it fast, cheap, with cheap, unprotected labor. All these things has happened, has proved that time is not for democracy now. Time is for China. 
China is using your hesitance, using your weakness to buy time for itself. We used to believe that given time, democracy will prevail, but it's not the case anymore. Given time, democracy will collapse. It will be weakened. It will be probably destroyed. I mean, not only China, but all the dictatorship in the world. Look right. at Putin's ideological. I want to repeat: it's their good yeah. right to do so, right? If they want、it's... to do so, <laughs> yeah, let them do it. It's a question of、you、how we respond to it. it. This is how、uh, it is. The people, I... authoritarian system existing for for thousands of years. Ever since they are actually the great majority, and it's just only up to us, to our governments, to our liberal、yeah. democracies, how we react on that, how we handle that, and and、yeah. we need to reach a point, as you say, China buys time, and it works out pretty well. Having said so, Joseph Borrell, High Representative of the EU for Foreign Affairs, he said the EU is assessing the implications of such a law、uh, regarding Hong Kong, and、mm. will continue. To raise its concerns and its dialogue with China.、Mm. Oh dear! This is what I really I think. <laughs> oh dear! I mean,、mm. it's still like exactly we buy some time, and he talking about oh we still raise our concerns. The Chinese government they laughing their ass off about these comments because they think、yeah. oh god the Europeans are such idiots. They really、mm. are. They don't grasp it. They don't. They don't understand it yet. And they probably we just play our game and they go along. Let's continue. <laughs> Yeah, there is there is a historical parallel. I mean, people mock European Union for a good reason. If you look back to the history, if you look back to the history of Europe, that how European states, kingdoms in the past have been undermining each other's when. Uh, Ottoman Empire was advancing in Mediterranean Sea. The, the troops was conquering one island after another. The French are still selling weapons to the Ottoman Empire. <laughs> it's 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 been historical that that this attitude of, I just care about my little kingdom. I do business with whoever as long as I can survive and I, I can do my、uh, lead my little life. This kind of lack of vision. To really unite and defend something, it's their rather strong tradition there. So that's why when I was in China doing international reports, very often I heard from international relations scholars in China. They are all government advisors, by the way, including you know the journalists from Xinhua News Agency. They will mock European Union. They will look down upon it all the time simply because they think. There's some evidence there, the proof there that European Union is weak. They cannot unite to defend their own interest, and this is, of course, very convenient for China. And now the democracy in the world is really in a crucial stage. Not only about Hong Kong, but Hong Kong is very important symbol. And look at the law that China has has issued, the National Security Law. It says that anyone, anywhere in the world. Who would say something that would consider, as for example, separatism, like、uh, encouraging Hong Kong independence or simply criticizing China's Hong Kong policy, would be considered illegal. And that means China is censoring, controlling the thinking and free speech of the whole world. And European Union is talking with China, engaging with China for what? It's like somebody said, "I'm going to rape you." And you say, "Let's talk." I don't want to be too too fatal. So my hope、yeah. is that by this challenge and by this rising awareness, that we really start to change course, that we take a more assertive stance, 
on these challenges. Uh, this is what I hope. This is what I hope for my children, for my grandchildren to come maybe one day. You know, mm. to 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 grow up in a region of the world where we can breathe free air and mm. where we can still shout out loud our anger, our opinions, where we can compose our own parties, where we can change things on a daily on a daily basis, right? And in politics and No, but but look, we are already in the best time in history. I mean, we are really really in the best designed democratic system in the world in the history. We True. are already in it. It, it never has been challenged. Yeah, yeah, now we are facing this challenge. And if we cannot, in our generation, if we cannot face this challenge, if we cannot deal with it in the right way, our children will suffer. This is what worries exactly. me. Yeah? yeah, we all have children. Exactly. We don't want our children to go in a society, to, to enter a historical stage when everything is digressing. What shall we do? This is the question. What shall we do as citizen, individual citizen who has no power no resources to, uh, to, to really change the higher powers, policy makers, decision makers. We really have to speak out. We really have to shout in this time to really do something to change that. Otherwise, we are really not fulfilling our duty in our generation. So uh, I recommend everyone to, at least if you don't have an idea what to, what to do to encounter this challenge, do a podcast. Yeah. And start shouting out on your podcast like we do, and uh, yeah, maybe we can convince. Or, or write to your senator, people. write to your member right. of parliament, write yes. to your representative yeah. in the parliament. Yeah, make like, people aware of them. your concerns. Right, this yes. is, I think, this is the more people raise their concerns publicly, mm. the more it becomes mm. a high level issue. Well, well, we'll see how how we're where we're turning to. We still have a lot of stuff to talk about in the future, for for sure. It feels like, oh, this is just the beginning. There's so much more to talk about and uh, because the issue is getting more and more serious. Yeah, um, it's at our door. Yeah. We're, we're nearly close to an hour. I think we don't, yeah. uh, we, we, we can't overstrain our, our listeners. And our, it yeah. was amazing to talk to you today. Um, mm. We catch up soon. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, your time, Liwen. Thank you. And uh, okay. next time we'll see something else exciting and maybe also worrisome will come up. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it will. Bye, Liwen. Okay, bye-bye. Poking with chopsticks. The truth about dictatorships. Podcast with Chin Li Wen and Marcel Chang.